Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. O-G. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg here, and I want you all to get a load of this. Legalized sports betting will be coming to your neighborhood real soon. You can bet on it, but you can also bet on something else happening. With legalized sports betting, there's going to come some big-time problems, and I'll be talking with an expert on those problems. You're going to want to get a load of this. All right, I'm back. And like I said, because this is important, you're really going to want to get a load of this. Arnie Wexler, folks, is one of the leading experts on compulsive gambling in this country. Probably the world. Now, why is he such an expert? Simple. Because he's been, for lack of a better term, to hell and back as a recovering compulsive gambler himself. And Arnie has been fighting the good fight for no less than the last 49 years, I believe it was on April 10th, 1968, that Arnie made his last bet. His book is called All Bets Are Off. I've read it. And, you you know, for people who unfortunately might have a problem, to me, it's a must read because it's in simple, basic lingo. Basically, Arnie is saying what I say, get a load of this. I mean, he tells it like it is with his uh, wife, Sheila. They formed the team of Arnie and Sheila Wexler Associates. Traveling around the country, training and teaching people about compulsive gambling and most important of all, really helping them. So it is my pleasure right now to introduce Mr. Arnie Wexler. Arnie, how you doing, my friend? Russ, it's a pleasure to be with you as always. Pleasure to speak to you. Uh, you know, Arnie, um, I'm not going to preach. I'm going to let you talk. But 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 before we get into the background and and the whys and the wherefores and the ups and downs of, of compulsive gambling, the reason you know what spurred me on to to have you as a guest today is because we know that legalized sports betting is coming soon. Okay, and listen, I grew up in the streets of Brooklyn. I I know what it's all about. I've gambled. I've bet. Uh, Fortunately, I don't have a problem. I certainly know plenty of people who do have problems. But the one thing I'm not so much in my my mind, and we're not. I'm not going to debate with you about should there be or not. You know, gambling in general. But the reason Russ Salzberg personally is against sports betting 
is because to me, it makes it real easy for young people to start betting. And that to me uh, can be the basis of an upcoming epidemic. I mean, you know, people, you know, the, the argument, the opposite way from what I understand, Arnie, is that people say, well, yeah, but you're going to take it out of the hands of bookies. Well, you know something? My attitude on that is, but it's not easy for a kid to go find a bookie. It's not easy for a kid. You know, I grew up, you didn't, you couldn't go online and bet. You couldn't even, there weren't even phones at the racetrack, which I'm sure you'll recall and we'll get into it. But now everything is easy and I just think it's too easy for young people to bet. Take it from there, my friend. Well, let's talk about phones at the racetrack. Go ahead. I used to go to the racetrack, Roosevelt or Yonkers or one of the racetracks, and I told my wife I was working late. Right. So I'd have to run out, go through the parking lot, go to a payphone in one of the restaurants, call my wife and tell her I'm stuck at work, then go back in and make my bets again. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? I remember going to the racetrack because we were kids in Brooklyn. You, you were going, we were going when we were 16 years old, so that was a no-no in the first place. But there were no phones. And the reason I remember this, my father, let him rest in peace, you know, was sick. He had a bad heart. And, like, here I am. I'm, I'm going to get lost for a day and not go and, you know, call to check in. Hey, Pop, how you doing? So I'd have to do the same kind of nonsense that you're doing. But I'm just saying... It's easier today, a lot easier for anybody to gamble, whether you're a kid or, or an adult. But to me, the danger is it just makes it easier for kids to gamble. Well, let's talk about the bookmakers next. Let me tell you, a certain amount of people will never do anything illegal, and they'll never bet with a bookmaker. But they will bet if they make gambling on sports legal. For instance, I could prove the point. When I ran the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey, we hired Gallup and we did a survey. And the, one of the questions on the survey was, do you ever pay, play illegal numbers? 31% of the respondents said yes. Do you play the state lottery? 81% said yes. And that's what's going to happen with sports betting. I'm pretty sure they're going to make it legal. And when they make it legal, you're going to get people doing it that would never try it. And all of a sudden, they're going to be in there. And some of them are going to become compulsive gamblers. And and I liken it to, listen, I'm one of those old school guys. I still go to my corner store every morning and get myself my five newspapers, okay? I'm I'm a newspaper guy. I I don't like look. I, I mean, I use the internet, but I like get my newspapers. But when I go to my corner store and I get my newspapers, I'm watching people buying lottery tickets. And I'm not talking about spending a buck or two or five or ten dollars. I see people spending fifty, a hundred, two hundred dollars, let's say, and I'm looking at them and I know they have problems rubbing two nickels together. They shouldn't be gambling on that kind of you know spending that much money on lottery tickets. But that's what the legalization yeah, sure, everybody dreams about that big win, which that's the hook, I, I'm sure, for all gamblers. But but while, yeah, it, it helps the states or states in one way, it also creates another problem because, you know, it's not just betting on sports games. I mean, lotteries are an addiction as well, are they not? 
Well, interesting you bring that point up, too. I stopped gambling in 68. In 66 or 67, New York State came in with the lottery. And I would go to the racetrack. They would sell lottery tickets at the racetrack. I would, before the lottery became legal, I would play numbers in my factory where I worked, and I was the plant manager. And I would spend $10 a day on lottery numbers, on illegal numbers. Now the lottery became into existence, and I was spending three and $400 a week on legal lottery numbers. Three or four hundred dollars a week on legal lottery numbers. Yes, and I was making sixty to eighty dollars a week at the time. <laughs> well, that, that that's listen. I I, I guess that's the uh, always the crux of the matter when when you're you're gambling. Uh, well, you tell me, Arnie, what constitutes a compulsive gambler? Very simple, Russ. When the gambling controls you, rather than you control the gambling. You got it. And when you got that disease, you need to get help. I mean, I, I, was, I was a plant manager supervising 400 people in the 60s. I was married seven years to my wife. I was gambling every single day, horses and sports, and anything else I could gamble legally, cards in, in the workplace. I could tell you that I was stealing from the company I worked for. I was doing all kinds of shenanigans. Anybody that came in and sold me, it was a big dress factory. Right. If you sold me plastic bags, hangers, boxes, trucking, I had to get a kickback. So I was making maybe a hundred and a quarter a week at that time, and I was probably getting five hundred to a thousand a week in graft and kickbacks. Right. And also the other thing I was doing. I was friendly with a couple of bookmakers, so I knew people that gambled in my factory. They gambled with my bookmaker, and he gave me a piece of the action of the losses of those people also. Okay, so... I mean, the first seven years we were married, let me tell you what a compulsive gambler is. I would wake up every, every morning and know today was going to be the magic day. I was going to make a lot of money and really bail myself out. Then by the end of the day, I'd come home from the racetrack or a sporting event crying like a baby and swearing I'm never, ever going to gamble again. And the next morning, wake up and the same thing started over. I mean, I'm married to a girl at the time. I'm 25 years old and she's 20. And we were married seven years before I stopped gambling. I stopped at age 30. I could tell you my wife would sometimes say she wanted to have sex. If I won, I was so high, who gave a damn? If I lost, I surely didn't want to be bothered. Right. So once in a while, I would do her a favor, and we would have sex. And she would say to me, I think I hear a ball game. And I would tell her she was crazy. And right under the pillow, I got the old transistors betting, playing the baseball game I got a bet on. <laughs> That's compulsive gambling. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's compulsive to the extreme. but, but not, not really, Russ. Not really? Nope. Compulsive gamblers. I know compulsive gamblers who have had... Uh, well, here's an interesting one. I once got a call from a young man that was a major league, ex-major league baseball player. And he got his son kidnapped by some people trying to get money from the family when the kidnap was uh, supposedly done, they called the family and tried to get money from the wife and the family. But that's compulsive gambling. And it's funny, I did a show on WFAN radio 
a couple of years back. And this kid that supposedly got kidnapped called up. He's now a compulsive gambler. And his father was a major league baseball player. It, 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 listen, listen. Um... I've always felt this, that, you know, just knowing people, unfortunately, I say this unfortunately, I know people who have been alcoholics. I know people who have been and are drug addicts or recovering drug addicts. And I know people who have a gambling addiction. But the gambling addiction is different than than the other addictions because if you're loaded, if you're stewed to the eyeballs, or if you're strung out, you might have, you, you know, you can tell. You can look in somebody's face and know or, or smell it on them that they're doing something wrong. But gambling, the gambling addiction, isn't it almost like a hidden kind of disease? You can camouflage well, it? It's hidden and invisible. There's no track marks. There's no dilated pupils. There's no smell. I mean, a classic case, I get a call one day on my hotline, and a woman says, I'm married 30 years to my husband. He was running an insurance company. He embezzled $600,000. She said, I never knew he ever gambled in his life until he got arrested by the FBI. (laughs) And I've heard a lot of cases like that. It is that hidden and that invisible where, I mean, I had all my stuff sent to my business. My wife had no, my, she knew I gambled. Right. Our first date was to the movies, and the next 300 were to Madison Square Garden or Monticello <laughs> Racetrack or someplace that I, or Las Vegas night, someplace that I had action going on. Right. <laughs> but there were a lot of family members have no clue at all until the bottom hits out. How old were you, again, the reason I bring this up because it's not that I'm against gambling, but this legalized gambling, and some, maybe I'm a walking contradiction. Somebody might say to me, "Well, Russ, well, how can you how can you say it's okay to gamble, but illegally as opposed to legally?" Well, to me, because it's legal, it just makes it too easy for everybody to gamble, and that means the wrong people. Uh, when I say the wrong people, people who should be gambling, have no business gambling, start doing it. But my bigger concern is young people. Like like when I saw um, Adam Silver, who I happen to have a lot of respect for. Adam Silver, to me, the NBA commissioner, is a very bright guy. I've met him. I've spoken to him. Very bright guy. But when I heard that he was talking about and promoting the fact that, you know, maybe it's time we change and, and get into legal sports betting and, and that you got Major League Baseball thinking about it and they want a 1% take. I mean, it, I know it's all about the money, but w- when these leagues talk about, you know, we got to be good for the kids and this and that, legalized gambling to me is the worst thing for the kids. And it's not just when people say you got to be 18 years old or older to gamble. That's a bunch, for lack of a better term, that's a bunch of bullshit, Arnie. Uh, You know it and I know it because, listen, it's nothing for a little pipsqueak to go to somebody and say, hey, could you go buy a lottery ticket? Can you go make a bet for me? And that's how it starts. Russ, you're you're hitting me on a wonderful target. In 1996, Horace Palmer, who who was the security guard for the NBA, asked me to fly to New York and bought me a ticket. I was living in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I spent four hours with him and a whole bunch of his people. And I have all the names listed if you want. 
And then after four hours, Horace said, we think there's a problem in the NBA, and we'd like to hire you to come and speak to every team and every player. And then three days later, they brought my wife into New York, was on a Thursday, and we spent another three hours with them, and we made a handshake deal. And the deal was that they were concerned that some of the players were into gambling addiction. And Michael was playing at that time, by the way. Michael Jordan, of course. Yes. Okay. And then about a month later, I got an email. No, I, got, I called up Horace Palmer, and he said to me, David Stern doesn't want to do it because he was nervous that the media would find out. Now go back to Howard Cosell. I did the Howard Cosell show, and David Stern was on the show also. And I have the tape to prove it. And Stern says something like this. We don't want, this was a quote, we don't want sports betting to happen because we don't want family members to lose their food and rent money on gambling on our games. Well, that's exactly what my concern is. But now we got a total change. You now have the NBA says, we're for sports betting, give us a piece of the action. What a hypocrisy. So, you know, having said that, what do you think, I mean, Arnie, you know, just observing it from, from where you sit, what do you think's going to happen? I, I mean, is there going to be a further epidemic once this is, because le- you know it's coming, and it's coming you know, soon. We have, we have all the epidemics. When, when casinos were only in Las Vegas, you had to travel to Las Vegas to gamble in a casino. Now we opened up casinos all over America. Then the poker the epidemic started. Now the Internet gambling started. We're getting tons of young kids coming in with Internet gambling. And now we're going to have sports betting legal coming down the pike. So we're just building a nation of gamblers. We're going to destroy people's lives. And it's going on and on and on. And the NBA will get a piece, and Major League Baseball will get a piece. And you got the fantasy stuff going on. You got Kraft from the from the Patriots, and you got the guy that owns the the uh, the Cowboys. They're Jerry all Jones. Of, they all have a piece. Uh, fan- they, uh, what what is it? Uh, DraftKings. Yeah, they all have a piece of DraftKings. Yeah, I, so you I, know I, who's who's like the kids, like the young kids are saying now. BS. Yeah, you know, I I, I sat down uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Rob Manfred, the um, you know baseball commissioner, and, right. and we were discussing it, and we were discussing Pete Rose and 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 everything else, and, and that of course led me into listen, the, the Pete Rose is banned from baseball. We don't, I don't have to get into the whys and wherefores. Everybody knows for gambling, but then I I brought up. You know, and it was not in a confrontational way. We were having a discussion. I mean, to me, gambling is still gambling. And I brought up, you know, the fantasy sports. And, you know, these leagues are holding on to the the, the fact that or they're trying to give the example. Well, it's not gambling. It's more like a game of chance. And listen, you can get you can get hooked on tiddlywinks. Exactly. Look, I know four kids that popped up into a GA meeting recently here in Florida, between the ages of 18 and 21. And all of those four kids were destroying themselves on fantasy gambling. And the fact is, they use their college money that their parents put in and the funds that they get for, for to, to pay college, the grant money, 
and they're in all kinds of trouble. So, you know, they can say what they want, but it's all BS like the kids say. Uh, Arnie, what has been, if you will, you know, in in all your years doing this, and you and, and Sheila do a marvelous job, uh, you know, when I say, you know, one of the leading people probably in the world, uh, you know, I mean it. I'm not saying it because I know you. But what has been the youngest age you have ever seen where you know, maybe a kid came to you or maybe his parents or her parents brought them the, the child to you saying, we got a problem here, uh, Mr. Wexler, what can we do? When, when the poker stuff started a couple of years back, right. I got a parent brought me, a mother and father brought me a 14-year-old kid. <laughs> But I started giving when I was seven or eight years old. I lived in Brooklyn and Williamsburg. You probably lived in Flatbush. Sheepshead Bay, that's, there you go. But I lived in Williamsburg and Brooklyn, and I was gambling at seven or eight years old. It was pitching pennies, flipping baseball cards, shooting marbles, playing pinball machines. And then when I was about eight or nine years old, somebody came to me in school, and I was still in elementary school, Pick three baseball players, get six hits, put up ten cents, win a dollar. Yeah, I I I know. I remember a young age because listen, we were kids growing up in in Brooklyn, and I listen. I I a, a few years back when you know the poker on TV and uh, Hold'em, whatever the, the games are. First of all, it shocks me that so many people were watching that, that stuff because to me it's just boring and nonsense. But it became addictive. And my, my buddy, who is an extremely, extremely, not because he's my friend, he's my best friend, a very responsible parent. Very responsible. He and his wife, extremely responsible. But... They, you know, I guess they saw it in the store, you know, the, the, the like a, a tabletop and how the kids can, can uh, play with a hold'em poker, whatever it is the, the game is. And when I saw that, I said to him, what are you doing? And he looked at me, he says, why? I said, because I'm telling you, that's a bad idea. And he didn't even think of it until I said it. And then he realized it and he cut it out because I said... That's how it starts. I remember as a kid just sitting with, with little baby chips. You, you know, we were probably 11, 12 years old, sitting, you know, in somebody's bedroom in the housing projects in Brooklyn, you know, playing poker for chips. And, and then from there, I remember going to bowling alleys. And it, I, the, the, the expression was, what are you playing for? It would be stuck in two. Stuck would mean if you lost... You had to pay uh, f- for, you know, what you paid for the alleys, the, w- what a game was, plus you had to pay $2. I mean, that's how all that stuff starts. And, and Russ, my first big win, I was 14 years old. It was Memorial Day. A 19-year-old girl that lived in my building that was a friend of my family was going to Roosevelt Raceway, and she took me with them. And I walked into the racetrack. And I was making 50 cents an hour in the garment center, schlepping packages and sweeping floors. And I walked out of the racetrack. It was Memorial Day, 1951. I walked out of the racetrack winning $54. And that day changed my life because it said to me, wow, what an easy way to make money. What a jerk I was to make 50 cents an hour. 
And I thought that by age 30, I could be a millionaire from gambling. Look how easy this is. And I was locked in. At 17, I was stealing comic books because that's what we played for. And and then it started. I was hooked at age 14. It, uh, Arnie, is that the death sentence, the, the, the first big win? Like, like if you go to the racetrack or even if you're buying lottery tickets, that big win is... Is is that the death sentence? If if you win early on, then then you just think this is easy. As opposed, if you know, let, let's say you let's say your guy goes to the racetrack, and he goes to the racetrack for the first time. Well, okay, whatever. He drops a hundred dollars. Well, that sucks, you know. But he goes to the racetrack for the first time, wins five hundred dollars. This is easy. Is that where the problem comes right right well, off the bat? It's not not necessarily the first time. But most compulsive gamblers, especially male compulsive gamblers, have had an early big win. I w- I'm guessing that the number's probably in the 90% top pile, that a compulsive gambler has an early big win. Well, well it's, it's interesting that you say male. What's the difference between a male and a female compulsive gambler? Well, most, com- and it doesn't go 100%, but most male compulsive gamblers are action gamblers and most uh, most uh female gamblers are escape gamblers you do have some women compulsive gamblers who are action gamblers but the numbers are small and the same thing with male slot players what 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 would what what do you mean by an escape gambler well most of the female gamblers and, and I'm saying most, I'm not giving you 100% right. on it, but most of them start at a later age. Most of the male compulsive gamblers can start at teenage years. And most of the female gamblers start 20, 30, 40, even 50, 60, 70 years old. But- and something happens in their life. They lose a husband or they lose a job or some child gets in trouble and they want to get away to feel better and they go to a casino or a racetrack and... That starts it. Yeah, I, I guess um, just just listening to you talk. I guess with a female gambler, compulsive gambler as well. Um, you, you know, naturally, the, the the bigger problems you have, it leads to other problems. And, and you know, if you'll do anything to get more money, then your body becomes for sale as well. I would imagine in some cases. Absolutely. 100% you are right. It's, it, it, it really becomes uh, a vicious cycle. One, one thing that I've always disputed, Arnie, and, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong or, or disagree. You know, s- some people view a compulsive gambler by the amount of a bet. I don't necessarily view it that way. What, well, what I mean by it's, this it's is... It's interesting that you bring that up. I remember a guy that came for help. He called me on my number when I was running the Council on Compulsive Gambling. This guy's name was Steve. He was 54 years old, and here's what he said. I never owned a suit of clothes. I never owned a car. And I never gambled more than $6 on any race. And the bet was two win, two place, and two show. And this guy was a compulsive gambler and owed about $10,000 and was in all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So you were on. You know, Russ, you got this thing nailed. Well, no, no. I, I listen. I've been around sports. I've been around people. And, you know, and, and you, listen, Arnie, I, I, I've read your book, and, and it's brilliant. I'm not saying it because I'm here to helping you promote Thank it, you. but but it is. But, well, but, you know, you know, a friend of yours wrote it, Steve Jacobson. Yes, yes, indeed, Steve, who who wrote for um, Newsday for many many years. But let me, you know, my my, my point that I was trying to make to, to the public. You know, like somebody, a thousand dollar bet for somebody is nothing compared to what a fifty dollar bet for somebody else is when when you're making you know bupkis. Well, let me share this with you. I talked about the, the guy with the two dollar bets. I met a guy in the last year that said I owned a huge company. I sold it for fourteen million dollars cash. And I'm busted out because I lost it all gambling. And then we asked for his phone number, and he said, my phone is in the pawn shop. Hmm. And so, that's a true story. So it, it, it certainly works both ways. In your book, you, you mention, I mean, it, it's quite fascinating. You mentioned various names. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, there was speculation when, when Michael Jordan uh left the NBA to play baseball uh, for two years, that the speculation was let's get him out of the league for doing that because there were some gambling allegations that were coming down the pike. Now, in fairness, in fairness, we don't know if that's true or it was just rumors, but it was... I've heard, I've heard those rumors, too, when it first started. Right. Now, but but at the same point... The reason I didn't, you know, when people say, "What? Well, a guy bets a lot of money, or he's he's in Atlantic City, or he's get a betting tens of thousands of dollars." Like I said, Arnie, you know, some people can afford it, and they don't have a gambling addiction. You know, that's true. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, for some people, you you can drop ten grand on a game or something. It doesn't mean you're hooked because you don't have the addiction. And somebody can drop ten dollars on a game and be screwed because they do have the addiction. That's, abs- that's absolutely true. But, you, you know, you take Michael Jordan, and my guess is that he's probably a compulsive gambler, but, you know, I'm not making criteria because I never really met him or talked to him. Mm-hmm. So let's say he's a compulsive gambler. He's never going to be broke. He does all these ads and advertising. He's always going to make money. Now let's take the other end of the stick, Pete Rose. Pete Rose has to sell his autograph and autograph stuff in Las Vegas to keep his gambling going. He's busted out. Right. I I, I just, you know, I'm, listen. Well, Arch Lista. Uh, uh, You know, let me talk about Arch Lista. Well, excuse me one second, Art, for for people who might not know, Arch Lista was, what, an All-American quarterback at Ohio State, correct? Right, and he played for the Baltimore Colts. Right, go ahead. So in 1980, I get a call from Dr. Custer, who was treating Arch Lister. And I meet Arch Lister in a treatment center in Long Island, South Oaks Treatment Center. And Arch Lister's got a private room, and he's got a basketball, a, a football net, where he's throwing the ball through the football in, the, in his room. And then the bus came, the limo came and took him for, to the health club so he can go whatever he had to do. So that's how they were treating Arch Lister because he was a hotshot and NBA, NFL guy. And Art and I have been friendly from day one. Today he's sitting in jail. 
He's embezzled money a few times. He's been in jail. I testified for him in 1980, I think it was 1992, in Las Vegas in front of Judge Pro for Arch Lister because he embezzled some money from people. So here's a guy that never got it, and he's sitting in jail. He's probably in his 50s today, and he's destroyed his whole life. And here's a guy that probably would have been the governor of Ohio <laughs> because that's how much they loved him in Ohio. Yeah, it, and I know Mitzi, his wife, and the kids, and everybody, and he never was able to put the the recovery piece together. While I was reading your book last night, uh, one name jumped off the page at me. Jumped off the page because because I'll tell you from a personal experience, but uh, I'll I'll just you know what I'll read this little caption that you said that you wrote in the book, and then I'll tell you why it jumped off the page at me. I can't imagine who you're going to talk no, about. No, in the 1960s, Mendy Rudolph was the best right. known referee in the NBA, but he used to go to the racetrack in disguise. Correct. When he died, his widow told the story of how he got a call from Las Vegas offering him money to shave points in games he was working. She recalled Mendy saying, it would be the answer to all of our problems. All I would have to do is look away maybe one time a game, maybe twice. And and you, you're, you follow up by saying, could he have been the only one who considered such a thing? Now, the reason I, Mendy Rudolph jumped off the page at me, so help me God, I remember walking down the street in Manhattan, and I remember it was someplace in, in the Garment District, and I was with my buddy, and I remember it was an evening. We were going to gonna go to someplace for dinner, and then, you know, we, we, wherever we were going, and here's Mendy. We, we see a crowd on a corner, and guys, he was shooting craps on the corner with, like, some guys, like, like from the Garment District. Shooting. Well, this I, was Mendy. I remember. And he, I lived, he was the most ahead. famous NBA ref there was. Mendy Rudolph, famous guy. Okay. I I lived in 20th Street in Manhattan, and I used to go to Madison Square Garden. And my uncle was a big gambler. And my uncle would tell me the fixed NBA games at Madison Square Garden. And I would go there and bet five. And I would bet. I was a six dollar better at that time. But I would get fixed games from my uncle. So I don't know where he got it. He's dead today, but that's what went on when I was a kid. Yeah, and and, and the you know again the reason I'm having you because cause this this whole business of legalized sports betting opens up to me all kinds of problems. And then another thing that really got me uh, got me going on this, and I, I think it sounds so naive and stupid. There was a document published by uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Sports attorney Brett Smiley, I think, was on the Sports Handle blog. And, and it, you know, you know he, here's like a quote. Operators of gambling businesses involving the NBA and Major League Baseball, operators would need to prohibit athletes, coaches, referees, team owners, employees of a sports governing body or its member teams, and player and a referee union personnel from wagering on any sporting event overseen by their sports governing body. Now, now, how stupid! Right. I, I mean, I mean, if I'm if I'm LeBron James and you know, or, or Stephon Curry or anybody, 
I can get Joe Schmo to make a bet. It's it's the dumbest, most naive thing in the world. This well, is what this is what pisses me off. Russ, there are a lot of athletes need the juice and need to be gambling to keep the juice going. I could tell you, I'll share a couple of experiences with you. We had a guy that we were treating that was visiting us in the house that played in Super Bowls that had a gambling addiction. And he would come visit us for about six months in our house here in Florida mm-hmm. every week. I had a call one day from a guy that played for the Houston Astros that was making 800000 a year the year before and ended up where he couldn't pay the Trump Casino in Atlantic City a $25,000 debt. I've had a next yankee ball player call me for help with gambling addiction. I had a hockey player that's in the Hall of Fame that I testified for him in a court case because he was involved with bookmaking. So to think that they can control somebody gambling is a joke in itself. It, I can't believe, I don't know who wrote that article, but the guy must be a moron. It, in your book, you also mentioned certain names, like, for example, uh, in 12 years as you know, a top NBA player, Antoine Walker earned more than $110 million and pleaded guilty to felony bad check charges after accumulating... $822,500 in gambling debts he couldn't pay. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you're not putting that in the book if it's not fact. Well, uh, Steve put that in the book, but it is a fact. It's been in, it's been in the newspapers, yes. And, and it, also in the book that, uh, well, I mean, it's not a secret. Uh, Sir Charles, B- Charles Barkley admitted that he's probably lost in his life, 10 million gambling. Now, again, that doesn't make somebody an addict. You know, okay, I'm glad you agree with that. It's just, it's, it's a mind-boggling number, but that doesn't make somebody an addict because if you got it, and, and that's you what know, you... You know, Leonard Toast owned the Philadelphia yes. team. I was in court with Leonard Toast. The Eagles, so just in case people Eagles, are wondering. Right. Right. So Leonard Toast owned the team, and he ended up, losing, if I remember right, $4.3 million to casinos in Atlantic City. And he sued to get the money back because he said they gave him free drinks and he didn't know what he was doing, so he lost the money. And I was in court with him, and and the lawyer or the judge, I don't remember who, oh no, Peter Contros, who was a writer, I believe, for the New York Times. And Peter said to him, I was downstairs at lunch break, And he said to him, what would you do with the money if you got the money back? He said, I don't want the money. Let the casino hold the money so I can play against it. (laughs) Well, well, that's, again, that's the extreme. And he died broke. He was living in a motel. Leonard Toasted. Yeah, you you also mentioned how John Daly, you know, I mean, he's another guy who's still out there gambling. Right. You mentioned that he blew in excess of 55, 55 million between 91 and 2007. Well, all these things appeared in the newspaper articles, and Steve picked them all up. Wow. Steve Jacobson. So, so look, having said all this, Arnie, what is your gut feeling that once legalized sports betting uh, happens, we're just going to have a far greater epidemic than we have now? Correct.
to me like legalizing drugs because you're going to open up the door. It's going to be a Pandora's box here. You're going to have every every person. You know, now you get all the people that are getting gambling with the bookmakers. Some of them are addicted people, and some of them would never gamble. There was there was a segment of Americans that would never do anything illegal, so they'd never bet with a bookmaker. Now you're making it illegal. You're making it legal, and those people are going to try it because now it's legal. Just like people never would gamble or even make a trip to Las Vegas to gamble in a casino, you opened it up in Connecticut and Maryland and New Jersey and all over. You got people now gambling in legal gambling establishments that never gambled before in their life till they became legal in their local area. Yeah, I I, I just find, and, and really it's. It's, I guess it's technology and society that we have today, but, but it just makes it, when I think about legalized, you know, sports betting, and, or it's just how easy things are today. Like, like I mentioned to you, you know, now there are phones and there are ATM machines in, in racetracks. You can go online. You don't have to, you can bet the, all the horses you want without ever having to go to a racetrack. But but you know what, Arnie, I, I liken it. It sounds crazy, but but I liken it to to the state of affairs with society today in pornography. We as, as young boys, listen, come on. We we all like looking at the girly magazines. We all like having our Playboy magazines. And but like to watch porn, I mean, you needed an older brother. I mean, we're talking about kids from the projects, okay? Somebody needed to have an older brother or know somebody who could have what they would call get a hold of a French film. Then if they got the French film, oh, then you needed to have somebody who had a projector, which that was a bigger deal. My point, and then, well, then you put up the sheet on, you, you, you follow what I'm saying? It, it was all hard then. Now today, Russ, a, a kid let me, go, a, a kid let go, me go, go Let me go back and tell you in 1968 what gambling looked like when I stopped gambling. The, the casinos were only in Las Vegas. There was no internet gambling. There was no cell phones. There was no credit cards. There were no ATM machines. There was no check cashing nonsense. There was no privileges at the racetrack to cash checks, although I cashed checks in Monticello because I knew Leah and Greenberg. There was no off-track betting. There was no simulcasting. There was no telephone betting. There was no phones at the racetrack. Only three states had lotteries. Riverboats were tourist attractions right. in the Mississippi. There was no 800 numbers where you can call and get some, some sports guru who's telling you who to bet on. I mean, and, there were, and the Super Bowl was only a year old. Yeah, it's crazy. And today, look where we are. And it's all about hypocrisy and greed. You got the, the league owners want to collect money from gambling. The casinos collect money. The states collect money. Even the federal government, in their nice, quiet way, collects a lot of money from gamblers. Just look at the money that's won by lottery players. That, that do hit a jackpot, how much money they have to pay the feds. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering what's going to happen with the NCAA, with, you know, if, if that's going to be next. Because that'd be a hard thing for the NCAA. NCAA has enough of its own problems right now. That'd be a hard thing for the NCAA to want to get into uh, a piece of that action. Well, I can't see why they're not going to get in. Yeah, it's, 
it, it, it's an you know Arnie, I'm I'm so glad you came on and and to me it's just about like I say I I just find. It makes it too easy. Like like I was talking to you about the porn before. Like, but now now a kid can come home, sit in the house, eating his milk and cookies, and turn on a TV. You know, go on demand and, and watch. It's just everything is too easy. L- l- listen, I'm all. For, I don't want to sound like some old fart who's against progress. But you know, the internet and social media. While there's pluses, there's also minuses. You, you have people today that are in the in the uh, in their nude going on the internet in their house in the middle of the yeah, night right. losing the yeah. life right you're right you, you, you're 100% you right. know when I gambled you had to get in the car you had to travel someplace you had to go someplace today you don't have to do that you can sit in your bathroom and blow your life yeah it's, it, it's a wild wild situation folks the man's name is Arnie Wexler he is one of the leaders as I said, not in this country, but in this world on compulsive gambling. And God bless you, Arnie. 49 years, you're still fighting a good fight, but but not just taking care of yourself, the thousands of people you have taken care of. I, I mean, the world's a better place for people like you. Arnie's book, folks, is All Bets Are Off. I suggest, you know what, if you're a parent, I suggest you read it. And if you're a young buck out there who, who thinks you got all the answers about gambling and sports betting, listen, I'm not against gambling, but you got to know what the hell you're doing. And I suggest you read it uh, before you, you know, get hook, go hook, line, and sinker, because I'm going to tell you what, in my bones, I believe sports betting is going to be the ruination of a great many people. And you know what? While the leagues are going to benefit from it, society is going to be kicked in the ass by it. And they're going to, you're going to see some great many people fall. Uh, Arnie, thank you so much for being on, my friend. You and Sheila stay well. We'll talk to you soon. Russ, I love you. You're a class act and always was. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Likewise you. to you. Okay. Arnie Wexler, folks. All right. Well, as I promised, uh, you know, when I said you're going to want to get a load of this, uh, Arnie Wexler, you know, that's straight from the mouth, man. There's a guy who's been to hell and back, as I opened the show by saying. I mean, you know, fortunately, he fought through it, been in recovery for 49 years. He and his wife go around the country training people. But again, I'm not trying to be some preacher here in a pulpit. I, I just, just the sports, legalized sports gambling, like, you, so, again, if you people are out there thinking, well, Russ Salzberg's nuts, he'd rather have illegal gambling? In so many ways, yes, I would. Because I'm telling you, every morning when I go buy my newspapers, I see people buying lottery tickets for, you know, spending a lot where they shouldn't. Kids are going to start gambling, and believe me, it's not going to be 18 years old. This silly, stupid notion that if you're a player or, or, or an owner or, or involved with a team that you're going to be pro- you're going to be prohibited from gambling. How? I mean, do they think everybody's a schmuck? I mean, really think about it. Any anybody can go get somebody to put it down a bet for them. But a, a kid is going to go. Okay, can you know? Can you make a bet for me? Can you? It's it's stupid. This is going to open up. 
all kinds of problems, and you're going to see. People talk today about the the opioid problem that we have in our society. You watch. Mark my words, and believe me, I like making a bet. I'm not 18 years old. I'm I'm not a kid, and and I know what I'm doing. But th- this is terrible. I I think uh, you know. To me, like I say, uh, uh, Adam Silver. Rob Manfred, I've spoken with both of them. They're good men. They're bright men. Uh, shame on all the leagues if they get involved with legalized gambling. Shame on – if you want a piece of that pie, I'm going to tell you, you're going to end up choking on that pie because it's going to come back and bite you right on the ass. It's going to be a big mistake. Anyway, that is a wrap on this segment of – Get a load of this. I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, I want to thank my fine producer, Mike Coscarelli, for helping me put this together. My thanks to 77 WABC program director, Craig Schwab, and, of course, you people. Let me know what you think. I mean, you can get in touch with me at russsalzberg.com. You can um, check me out on Facebook. You can also check out my website, russsalzberg.com. What did I say? Uh, Did I say? Yeah, at russsalzberg. Not at russsalzberg.com. At russsalzberg on uh, Twitter and uh, on Facebook. And my website is uh, uh, russsalzberg.com. We are the OG Podcast Network. I thank you for being part of it. I will be back again next week. But until that time, forget a load of this. It is Russ Salzberg saying, as I always do, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.